Like a farmer in his field. Well, if that isn't some juicy content. Indeed. Circle gets the square. I'm going to pull some fast gotcha questions. Carry on, James. Carry on. You know what, Craig? That's a good call. another edition of the Channel Futures podcast, Coffee with Craig and James. I'm the editorial director of Channel Futures. Joining me, as always, our very own news editor, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. James Anderson. James, how are you? Hey, Craig. I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, I think it's been, you know, kind of a long week already, but, uh, you know, we're, we're hanging in there. How, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, you enjoying the little music uh, behind us here? You, you know yeah. the reason for that? Well, um, I mean, I'm guessing it's just because it's from 1998, Signal, our 98th podcast. Is that right, or is there more? Oh, oh, um, yeah, I, I guess it is from 1998. But uh, really, I, I just use this song because I've been trying to uninvite you from the podcast. Uh, didn't you get the message? Oh, you, your, <laughs> your passive-aggressive communication style fails again. <laughs> so tell me about yourself, uh, what, what you've been up to. Oh golly! Uh, well, I'm I'm a busy man lately. Got a lot of school. Got a lot of trying to cook more. Ooh. So I'm thinking about what sort of recipe I'm gonna make for some friends that are coming over this weekend. You know, want want to impress them. It's kind of like I'm I'm putting all the skills I've learned from the pandemic, namely how to how to sort of cook, into into play. And you know, I want to make a good showing, Craig. So. It- is yeah. this like a is this cooking thing a new thing for you relatively or, or what? Well, I got into it last summer and I mean I don't think I learned to cook many like very good things, but I felt like I became more adept at just whipping stuff up, you know, <laughs> which is half nice. the battle. Well, what what are you up to lately? Well, I think I mentioned on the last podcast uh, when we joked about my rhyming skills about uh, time up in the pines. But we've been spending some time on some weekends here up in uh, Payson, Arizona, uh, the last couple of weekends. So that's been fun to do, get out of the heat a little bit. Uh, and you mentioned cooking. It really got me thinking. Uh, I've, I've been trying to uh, do a fair amount of my own cooking lately, uh, probably less so since we've been heading up there and we've been uh, eating out a couple times and getting some fast food. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoy doing the cooking a little bit myself as well. Uh, the wife uh, works in the office. Of course, I'm I'm at home. So she works hours at least as long as I do. So I, I tend to get into the kitchen and uh, do a little bit of that myself. So it's enjoyable. It's kind of uh, in addition to the reward you get at the end when you actually eat the food, there's the eating of the morsels during the cooking. Do you do that sometimes? Ah, the morsels. Yes, I, I have partook. Yeah. And then uh, I just think it's one of those activities that sort of you step away from work, you start working on dinner. It's it's uh, it's meditative in a way. I, I don't know how to put it. I, I, I enjoy it, too. It truly is nice to take your face away from a screen and yeah, and just uh, work with nature to make food out of it. Yes. 
<laughs> well put, well put. So what's been going on work-wise, Craig? Uh, so it's been a real whirlwind of activity in the past two months, as you know, James, and uh, our casties know as well. We've talked about some of this stuff. Channel Partners Online and Channel Features websites, of course, merging. That's been a huge success. Uh, and speaking of huge success, we also had our DE&I workshop, our last episode. Uh, we had Gabriella Schuster from Microsoft on, as well as Michelle McBain from JS Group. They previewed that session. It was a great workshop. But I don't want to lose sight of what I like to think of as the ultimate prize the channel partners conference and expo homecoming show november 1st through the 4th in las vegas oh yeah well because our last episode was so dedicated to the deni workshop we actually didn't even talk about how registration for the cp expo opened up just a couple of weeks ago now that craig it's a milestone of goodness and uh, as I like to use this metaphor, it's really like a, a small pool of the chocolate river that will lead us to the proverbial Willy Wonka chocolate factory that is the Channel Partners Homecoming Show. <laughs> yeah, uh, good way to put it. Uh, of course, we will provide a link to CP Expert registration on the landing page of this podcast. And our call for speakers closed last month, and our team is working hard to pick who is going to end up both on the big stage and on the smaller stages at the big show. Yeah, you should start to see the first semblance of an agenda on the Channel Partners Conference and Expo website soon. And we will be constantly updating that as we confirm speakers, add educational sessions, networking events, and much more leading up to, as James said, the big show. Yeah, you know, normally when people say these people have an agenda, that's normally a bad thing. But for us, that's <laughs> a very good thing. We at Channel yes. Partners absolutely have an agenda. <laughs> for sure. This is all uh, in addition to the two-day first of its kind MSP Summit that's going to run concurrently at the same time as CP Expo. There's going to be tons of tracks and content that's specifically dedicated to our managed service provider friends. And I'm sure that our casties appreciate that you defined concurrently for them. Yeah, you know, you never <laughs> want to get too presumptive about your own language. <laughs> you know, I can't wait for all of that. It seems like just a little more than three months ago on this podcast, we were talking about how we were eight months away. Now, a little more than three months later, we can say we are less than five months away. Two months ago, we were eight months away. And is that math correct? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, kind of a pointless math exercise I took you through there. But it's still three, yeah, so anyway. Yeah. Um, meantime, speaking of the podcast, Craig, we just keep having the big shows. Yeah, we do. And the reason for that is most definitely not us. It's the big guess. First up today, we'll be chatting with Tony Safoyan, president and CEO of SADA, now, SADA is a massive cloud partner that is exclusive to Google Cloud. Uh, it'll be great to get his perspective, James, on the biz and get a little insight into what it's like to work with Google Cloud. Indeed. And later in the show, we're going to talk to Vince Menzion, founder of Ultimate Partnerships. Not surprisingly, Craig, he's an expert in partnering. And there's a lot Ooh. of great advice that the partners in our audience, and anyone for that matter, can apply to their businesses. Yeah, no doubt some tips that many of you have not considered. And uh, in between the two interviews, in what we in the business call the bridge. Hey, you know, it's good to know we're in the business. I, I, You know, the podcasting business, that's cool. 
Well, we like to give them the business. I don't even really know what that means. Anyway, sounds kind of good. Uh, <laughs> one, <laughs> one other thing coming up is some insight into our prestigious MSP501 list. But first, I've got a little something prepared for you, James. Ooh. It's not a game exactly, but I think uh, you'll get a kick out of it, James. And I'm I'm not going to tell you anything about it in advance. How about that? Well, first off, that's totally fair after I put you through the whole conspiracy theory shenanigans uh, <laughs> last week. But first, Craig, the real meat to our podcast, the interview. Well, we are pleased to be joined by Tony Safoyan. He is the president and CEO of SADA Systems. That's a cloud solutions consultancy, MSP, and a premier Google Cloud partner. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love Channel Futures. Uh, remember when we're still getting together in person a couple years back, I did a keynote around the investment model in cloud partnerships and cloud economics, and that was a really good time and uh, have, have deep connections with, with the organization. Thanks for having me. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, I know we're excited for this, excited for uh, some of the insights that you have around cloud and 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 the trends in the last two years that, that you're seeing. Tony, could you talk about the growth of Google Cloud and the role that partners, including yourself, are, are playing in that growth? For sure. For sure. Look, it was a pretty big bet we made a little over two years ago to go all in with the smallest of the hyperscalers <laughs> and definitely sort of contra trend. Right. I think most of our peers, including sort of the public or the you know private equity backed ones, were going multi cloud all in with everyone. And we chose a distinctly different path. And it was like, you know, our decision started even before folks like Thomas Curian and, and uh, Rob Enslin and, you know, Carly Gerhardt, which has gotten there even before this leadership was on board. I mean, that's how much we believed in this technology and, and its potential. And so, yeah, the last two years have been a wild ride. It definitely feels like in hindsight, that was the right decision for us, for our employees, for the market, for our customers, and that. The fact that Google now has started to publicly state in its earnings calls the Google Cloud revenue growth. Now we have real insight in terms of what's happening inside Google Cloud, and then we can compare it to our own growth and then try to figure out what our contribution is to that growth. And I have to say, this is the week that we're you know submitting an application for this year's uh, Google Cloud Partnership Awards. So some of this is, is on top of my head, but there's tons of ways that it's possible to add value as a cloud-focused consultancy as a cloud MSP, because there's just an, an immense potential of the economic model in, in terms of recurring revenue, the compound effect of recurring revenue. When you're participating in the subscription and the consumption of the cloud products, you're also implementing for customers. There's just tons of ways to add value. But as far as what Google uh, looks at, and I feel like we've contributed tremendously to this and the data supports it, is last year we, we, we were responsible for sourcing something like 48% of all the total contract value bookings that we made in 2020. So that's remarkable. And that's just one area uh, that I feel like partners like us can add tremendous value is sourcing new business. So Tony, you, you talked about uh, choosing Google and going Google only. You know, that being said, uh, Google Cloud Platform still number three among the big boys. It's sort of slowly gaining. Uh, but what's it going to take to catch AWS and Azure? I have two answers for this. Uh, the first answer is it doesn't really matter. 
what number they are. And the reason I'll I'll say that is because Toyota, Honda, and BMW all have massive businesses, right? That's sort of one way to look at it. And and look, the total addressable market for hyperscale cloud is so big. It's bigger than anybody can actually enumerate. And I think all the analysts are wrong and they keep readjusting what they think the TAM is. I think Satya Nadella four years ago said, you know, $4 trillion spend. That's for known use cases and existing data center costs that we can shift. It's cost shifting conversation. I think the World Economic Forum published this article that talked about as you move up the stack away from sort of compute and storage into ML, AI and data, like the economic impact of cloud, a cloud project at a customer has tremendous EBITDA impact. So this is going to be an environment in a couple of years where Google, Microsoft, Amazon are going to not be one and a half and two trillion market cap companies. They're going to be three, four, five, six market cap companies, in which case 75, 80% of the enterprise value is going to be driven by the cloud businesses, not their on-premise businesses, not their retail businesses, not their advertising businesses. So the dressable market is so huge that being number three actually doesn't matter that much, right? That being said, because they're publishing quarterly, the growth numbers, we know Google Cloud is growing faster than AWS and Microsoft. And we also know, even though they don't publish it, but we know it based on our own numbers, that if Google Cloud was just reporting GCP growth, that's way more than 46%. Google Cloud includes a bunch of things, right? Chrome is in there, Workspace is in there, Maps is in there. So GCP is growing way, way faster than 46%. So that's the fair comparison to the AWS growth, if we're going to be you know, honest with ourselves, right? Yeah. So it's hard in a consumption compounding business to gain on somebody that started 10 years ago. It's hard, but Google will continue to chip away. Uh, Google, Microsoft, Amazon will all do tremendously well. They'll contribute to tons of, you know, trillions in additional market cap for their companies. And there's plenty of work to do. I mean, we're in an environment where the demand will exceed supply of capable partners and engineers and people that can do the work for years to come. Yeah, it sounds like what we call in the industry a rising tide, right? <laughs> Correct. So, Tony, um, Carolee Gearhart, uh, Google Cloud's channel chief, recently told Channel Futures that she wants to improve the partner contracting process. Any other areas uh, where you think GCP could improve or any other sort of conversations and feedback that you are exchanging with Google? I'm talking to Carolee later today. We're very good friends and uh, we're very aligned strategically, whether it's in a formal setting like the partner advisory councils, there's a North American one and a global one. We participate in both. And the team that's built around that, by the way, today, as far as the channel uh, strategy and operations teams, they're more robust and bigger and more capable than ever before. So we're super optimistic. I, I think the challenge for, for Google or any organization who's making the shift to be channel first or, you know, channel neutral, channel first, et cetera, is, you know, I think they, they share a common set of challenges, which is how do you build true parity in a customer's journey that's direct with Google in this case, or a customer that wants to buy from a partner? And then how do you, in fact, build constructs that make it pro-channel in some ways, in which a customer's experience with a partner like SADA can actually be better. It can be as good as with Google, but with more stuff, with more value. 
And Google's definitely made you know certain inroads in that direction. We have no problem uh, expressing the value proposition of why uh, even some of the largest customers Google has should buy from us and not Google Direct. But it is you know challenging when you're growing as quickly as Google is. When you have 2,500 sellers, you know in North America, it's like to educate all of them on how it is to sell with a partner in a co-selling model. It's it's a lot of work, but also all the back office functions, legal, contracting, sales ops, they all have to be as familiar with, hey, what is this contract coming through SADA on behalf of MakerBot versus a MakerBot contract direct, right? And there's there's some nuance and, and some special workflows that have to be triggered. So major progress has been made there. The other areas you have, you know, hundreds of product teams releasing new constructs, new products, new solutions and GCP workspace maps all the time. So how do you make sure when a new solution hits the market that is that is it's it's uh, at launch both sellable and supportable by partners? That's just again something Google's gotten way better at. All vendors struggle with it. It's a rapidly growing and changing environment. It has to be thought of as like partners are just an extension of us. Sada sellers are an extension of our sales organization. Nothing should hit the street before it's channel ready. It's hard to actually do that when you're growing as fast as Google is. Yeah, so Tony, you've talked about this a little bit already, but I want to dive into a little deeper. With you guys being a a Google-exclusive shop, you know, a lot of companies are looking for multi-cloud these days. So how is the growing multi-cloud environment impacting cloud partners uh, like yourself? We are not flat earthers, meaning we accept the fact that the world is a multi-cloud place, (laughs) that most customers will have more than one cloud. I think AWS just last year said the word multi-cloud at their conference. Google has been saying that and building around that with Anthos for many years now, right? So we we actually love and appreciate Google's approach to multi-cloud, which is the most confident and honest of any of the providers because it is truly based on the completely open standards that Google wrote around Kubernetes, et cetera, that they open sourced, that now all the hyperscalers use and on, on-premise uh, data centers can use. So when, when a customer wants to go on a multi-cloud journey, we say, yes, of course, and we'll support that with Anthos. And we think that is the most flexible, most pro-customer approach. Uh, and of course, our engineering teams are, are full of people that understand Azure and understand AWS and understand on-premise who can help in that journey. And you know, if, if customer wants to wants to run Anthos, us and Google will say, you can run your workloads anywhere if you run Anthos. We feel over time, you'll want to run them in GCP or GKE, but do that at your own pace. And I think no other hyperscaler says that. Multi-cloud, no longer a dirty word. That's what you're saying, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it never was for Google. And by the way, if you're number three, you know, you can't say multi-cloud's a dirty word because <laughs> you're, you're always the second or the third, right? You're not the incumbent. So right. there, there's financial and, and commercial reasons that why Anthos was prioritized. But also I think it speaks to Google's authenticity in the market. Like it is a, the most pro customer setup is Anthos. Move it around. Azure is cheaper tomorrow or better. Move it off GCP and move it to Azure. We don't care. Just orchestrate it with Anthos. I think that's a very confident uh, position. Yeah, that makes sense. As we close, Tony, could you share kind of your perspective on how Google Cloud partners have responded to the pandemic? What trends have you seen emerge? Um, What's your general take on the last year and a half? This is where 
going in with Google and being so close and aligned with them, both culturally and philosophically, really stood out. You know, as soon as the pandemic hit, we had uh, Kirsten Cliphouse uh, on up, on down, really lead the charge, and, and Carol Lezorg and Nina Zorg lead the charge with this philosophy and mantra that emerged, which is like, we are now in a serve, not sell modality. Yes, we're sellers, we're sales teams, we have quotas, but we are at the service of our customers. We're not there to close business. So that was an amazing um, North Star and a rallying cry for, for the entire ecosystem to, to step up in, in, a, in a completely in supportive, non-commercial way and, and help our customers through the toughest transition that they've ever had to make. Uh, true black swan event, I think in, the, in, in, a pure, in its pure definition. That meant helping them in Google Workspace, you know, move from home, turn on, move, move to work from home, turn on features, give them licensing for meet and collaboration tools for free. That meant deferring their invoicing, you know, for some period of time. That meant reducing their cost footprint for some period of time. That also included things like building a bunch of CCAI and dialogue flow-based solutions. I saw a bunch of Partners do great work there in public sector so that governments, you know, state, local governments could process uh, all sorts of requests around vaccine appointments. But even before that, starting with unemployment uh, requests and things like that, which the old infrastructure was simply not built to, to, to support. And certainly it was an in-person come wait in line type of co construct, which couldn't even be operationalized in the midst of a pandemic. And then we built something called the National Response Portal, which uh, collected and open sourced all sorts of information from our anchor partner, which was uh, HCA Healthcare, but many others participated in providing disease transmission data that we then mapped out and could also predict sort of hospital bed utilization to other trends around COVID-19. And we, we spun that up in you know, about six weeks with a lot of help from, from Google, both financial help and technical help. It was really amazing and it was also great to hear from the partner organization including carol lee's organizations like hey we got you you know like what do you need we're here for you so you can be there for your partner uh, for your customers that was it was just a great response something that is a very indicative of the culture at all times with google cloud tony great stuff uh, thanks for helping your customers your fellow partners uh, through the pandemic James, we've got to be careful about getting guys like Tony, another guy here who has his own podcast. You know, we're going to start looking bad here if we keep getting these good speakers. It's a rising tide, Craig. A rising exactly. tide. A rising tide of podcasts lifts all podcasts. <laughs> I've heard that before, something like it. <laughs> Tony, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck uh, to you the rest of the year. Craig, James, such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right, James, some uh, good insight there from Tony Safoyan of Sada, really getting into Google Cloud, what it's like to be one of their partners. He talked about some cloud trends as well. Uh, good stuff there from Tony. Yeah, it was solid. Uh, just really interesting hearing about their pivot into being a Google Cloud exclusive partner and uh, just what life looks like for them, that, that rising tide of cloud services. Very interesting. Uh, James, you want to fill the casties in on our aforementioned MSP 501 update? Oh, would I ever? So the application deadline passed a couple weeks ago, and currently our crack team of data analysts are crunching the numbers as we speak. You know, I, I picture like a dark, smoke-filled room full of hamsters running around or something. 
that's a, a brilliant visual, Craig. You, you you had me at hamsters. Are they like on wheels? Or are they like are they hamsters in lab coats? Oh, I hadn't really given it that much thought, as you could tell by the odd metaphor. No, it's fair. I'm glad we gotta keep keep taking those shots, you know. Uh, so anyway, we'll be rolling out the most comprehensive ranking of MSPs from around the world, beginning on June 21st. It's gonna be a five day extravaganza where we named 100 each day. But but James, that's only 500. 100 times five. That's excellent math, Craig. But on the first day, it's going to be 101, so we'll take care of that discrepancy. Ah, uh, okay. Thanks for clearing that up. Appreciate it. You, you betcha. It's going to be the biggest behemoth of a countdown the channel has ever seen. Leading up to the unveiling of the top 100 on Friday the 25th. Ooh, that's good luck. Ooh, juice box. And then we'll offer up all of the analysis and break down the numbers. Just kind of like, I think, the same thing, right? Oh, God, don't need this millennial correcting me. In a webinar on June 30th, of course. Hey, no, Craig, you're, you'll put the link to that webinar in the landing page of this podcast. Do I say that a lot? Like maybe three times already, but I I like the consistency. It, it, I feel a sense of stability when you do it. So say it, say it one more time. No, don't uh, patronize me. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, we've got this uh, sort of game that I promoted in the first half of the podcast are you ready to get into this thing let's do it you will need to be prepared with an internet browser do you have that ready yep i've got uh netscape what's that that, sorry what's that dead browser called um yeah i'm not sure netscape's around anymore that was your years ago aol's got a browser too it's uh it's pretty much dead as far as i know (laughs) okay all right, well, uh, I've got this thing from Google loaded. I don't know what you Okay, oh, Google. I've heard of them. Uh, okay, so here's how the game's going to work. And and this is something I heard on the news about a month or two ago, just a little quirk, or I read it on the internet as mm-hmm. something funny to do. And uh, apologies in advance to all of our fantastic listeners in the state of Florida. We love you. This could probably <laughs> be done for any state in the union. But uh, what I saw was for Florida, and, and I think it's worth doing. I think you're going to get a kick out of this. So are you ready, James? I'm ready. I love my Florida men. All right. So <laughs> Google, have you heard about this? You say Florida men. You're familiar with this. Uh, yeah, the Florida man trend where I actually yeah. follow the Florida man subreddit where they just post headlines of Florida men doing things. Excellent. Excellent. So, so, <laughs> so I want you to Google Florida man. And then your birthday. This is the the subsection of this that I did. So so type that in and let's see uh, a couple of the top results. And I'll have you go ahead and, and read pieces of those uh, headlines and articles. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Here's what we got for the top of, of this search engine. Florida man dressed as Fred Flintstone gets pulled over for speeding. <laughs> Back in November 2018, the Hanna-Barbera character, a.k.a. Don Swartz, drove around the Wesley Chapel area in a smart car that was customized to look a lot like the iconic Flintmobile. It must have been a slow day in the neighborhood because Pasco County Sheriff's Office Deputy H. Echeverria decided to use the -the off-the-wall incident as an opportunity for a traffic stop turned photo op, staging a scene where Swartz got pulled over and cited for speeding by law enforcement. Oh, so it's like they're trying to be wholesome. Okay. That's Um, great, though. That That is fantastic. I love that. Yeah, he's 
it looks like one of those box cars. Maybe is it a Fiat? And it's it's a cute it's a cute car. It's uh paint like painted it brown to look like wood. It's got nice. like a little like leather colored seats. Um, he seems really happy. But yeah, wholesome Florida man story. How about that? All right. Well, that that's good because it's probably going to go downhill from here. Do you, do you want to do uh, one more that you found, or do you want? I figured we'd each do two, or do you want me to go next and we'll go back and forth? I say you go next. That'd be great. Okay, uh, here's an entertaining one uh, for my birthday, uh, which, interesting enough, I'll tell you, is September 9th. I also found out that that is the most popular, at least of a couple years ago, uh, the most common birthday in America. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? I didn't realize that, but uh, anyhow. Okay, so Florida Man, September 9th. Here's what I came up with. <laughs> Naked Florida Man starts house fire while baking cookies on George Foreman Grill. Uh, apparently responding to a house fire last week, uh, well, this is a story from three years ago, Niceville uh, police officers and firefighters encountered an odd sight. When they got to the home around 5.30 p.m., they could see smoke coming from inside. A naked man opened the front door and said, I'm sorry, then closed the door. Long story short, according to the offense report from the PD, the man showed no signs of understanding the danger he was in. Uh, there were several things on fire inside the home, including some towels. Long story short, yes, uh, the man was uh, on various substances. Uh, he did refuse uh, medical treatment. Uh, uh, based on the fire department's investigation, he allegedly tried baking cookies on a George Foreman grill, which he left unattended. The grill and cookies caught fire, so he put dry towels on top of the grill. Those caught fire, too, causing the fire to spread. So that, that's a pretty good one, I got to say. That's good stuff. I mean, the second result I found also involved a naked Florida man, but oh. I don't know if I can read this. I'm 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 scrolling down looking for family friendly Florida man stories. And I don't I don't know, man. This is tough. Yeah. Why don't I give you one more that I okay. came across? That sound good. That's that's wonderful. And this also uh, involves nudity, but it, it's uh, it's entertaining nudity. Uh, this headline Florida man flashes buttocks at IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> after impersonating a police officer to get free food. <laughs> uh, so I'm not even going to get into the full story. Uh, I think that pretty much uh, the headline pretty much tells it all. So entertaining little ditties. But as you said, some of these are, are not exactly family friendly if we kept going on. So I, I say we leave it right there. But uh, that was entertaining enough. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's a story about assault with a pizza. Pizza! Like someone, a Florida man who hit someone in the face with a pizza because he was mad. <laughs> the person helped birth him oh uh, wow but yeah i mean using pizza as a weapon that's that's something that's uh, that's a good one too all right james and now that we're through with that silliness at least until the next podcast probably i'm looking forward to our next guest uh it is vince menzione vince has years of experience in sales some of the companies you may have heard of that he has worked for he spent many years at microsoft uh, you know them right I do. I have one of their operating systems. <laughs> yes, don't we all? Uh, Zebra Technologies as well. Uh, looking forward to getting uh, his insight on partnering since he's an expert in partnerships. And and I, I can't help but notice that this was a, a complete accident, uh, James. But uh, after that bit about uh, Florida men, I, I looked on his LinkedIn page and uh, Vince actually lives in Florida. However, uh, we will separate him of course, from any of the previous references we had in that last segment. Yeah, I'm sure if we ask him about it, it's just going to be deny, deny, deny. So I might as well <laughs> give him some alibi. <laughs> there you go.
All right, James, really excited to welcome into the coffee house Vince Menzion. Vince is the founder of Ultimate Partnerships. He's also a former GM of partner sales and strategy at Microsoft and now host of the Ultimate Guide to Partnering podcast. Vince, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Craig and James. And I, I did bring my own Starbucks. Is that okay with you? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's perfectly fine. James likes to get all crazy with his orders. I don't know if you saw this week, I think it was on social, they were posting a bunch of stuff where people were cranky uh, baristas talking about 15 or 20 specialty orders. That's kind of that's kind of James' thing. He wants like half a pinch of cinnamon and all this kind of stuff. I have no more than 10, I promise. <laughs> well, Vince, it's great to have you here. Um, I, I always hesitate to welcome on fellow podcasters onto the show because I'm afraid you're going to make us uh, look bad. Uh, not at all, not at all. But I have been doing this for quite some time, so uh, I feel like the OG. Oh, there you go, there you go. Well, that's, uh, we'll start bringing up some rap like we did in the last podcast. Better be careful. Uh, Vince, why don't you just uh, kick off the conversation and give us a little bit about your background uh, and how you came to become an, uh, an expert, let's say, in uh, partnerships. Well, expert's a pretty broad term, but yeah, you know, I've described my career as four successful business transformations, and I'm on to my fifth right now. So I started off in the early days of wireless computing before Wi-Fi, helped a company grow from $6 million to $125 million, went public on the Toronto Exchange, then followed one of the leaders to do a turnaround that was spun out by Golden Gate Capital. And in that turnaround, I was asked to start up a new business unit and it was for the government market. And I intuitively knew that in order for us to make traction quickly, we needed a channel strategy. And so I got us a GSA schedule. I reached out and found who were the key influencers, solution providers, resellers in that market. And I started building business relationships. And that ultimately led to a very quick and exponential business growth to uh, to about $30 million within you know 26 months, which ultimately led to the successful sale of the organization to a, a large defense contractor. I was then recruited by Microsoft to become the general manager of U.S. public sector partner strategy, became a member of the U.S. partner leadership team. And so got to see from the inside of the tech giant how partnerships worked and when they failed, why they failed. After I left, I was convinced that partners struggled with working with the tech giant. And that's when I started up the podcast in January of 2017, when very few people were doing podcasts, there was a great opportunity to help drive that discussion and help organizations. And then I, you know, I started up my organization, Ultimate Partnerships. I spent two years, actually went on the inside to one of the largest uh, global ISVs in the nonprofit sector and got to see from that side how things worked and when they failed, why they failed. And I came out in 2020 convicted more so than ever that partnerships were a key accelerant to growth and acceleration. And so started to back up the podcast and started you know, focusing in on helping organizations to get it right, working with tech giants. You know, if you'd known what you did back in 2017, Vince, you might have started a true crime podcast. <laughs> they seem to be much more popular. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly more downloads. <laughs> so, Vince, reflecting on some of those experiences, did you have some some big takeaways about the most important tips for good partnering, whether that was how channel partners should work with vendors or how channel partners should 
work with other partners? Any any big takeaways? You know, James, I wouldn't call them tips, but I've, I've referred to them as fundamental principles about what makes successful partnerships. And I came out, when I came out, just about a year ago, in fact, I wrote a manifesto. You know, we're right in the midst of COVID. Organizations were really struggling with the uncertainty that was going on. And I took a stand saying that partnerships were going to be a key accelerant to growth, especially during this time. And, you know, in that manifesto uh, enunciated what I believe to be the core principles of successful partnerships and starting off with things like mindset being key and fundamental to how an organization thinks about partnerships, uh, applying extreme commitment and maniacal focus to the partnership, having a shared vision for success, being very crisp about the value proposition, and then really where the rubber meets the road, you know, getting to the level of results and measuring those results effectively and then also uh, having a, a, you know, I'll call it a preponderance towards being agile and understanding that partnerships often need to go in a different direction. They need to pivot and being flexible and in, in a mindset to pivot to the right direction for the partnership. So I came out with this, um, I'll call it the ultimate partnership operating model. And that's, you know, sort of key to what I do with organizations and trying to help them and also focusing in on the podcast. Yeah, flexibility, I think, is a, is great advice, uh, Vince, uh, that we can all apply to our relationships. All right, so Vince, uh, maybe take a minute to talk about your podcast just a little bit. Uh, I understand you recently celebrated your 100th. This is number, what is this for us, James? 90, uh, it's mid-90s somewhere. So we're gaining on you, but uh, you nice. probably pump them out more often than we do. You know, I don't. Well, maybe I do. Uh, you know, I did the first 60 episodes, uh, put it on the shelf for almost two years and started back up again in July of last year. Oh, okay. So it and, might be about the same time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I, but I pumped out 40 episodes in the last, you know, 40 or so weeks. We're on somewhat of a weekly cadence. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I've been super privileged to have so many amazing guests and leaders join Ultimate Bar Ultimate Guide to Partnering. And, you know, some of that, when I came out in 2020, the, the country was somewhat on fire. The world was in a really, I call it, difficult place. And so I came out with a renewed conviction around partnership, but also understanding that we in the tech sector have an opportunity and perhaps an obligation to lead during this time. And leaders were standing up and saying, we need to drive the change we wish to see in the world. And so not only did I reach out to some of the, you know, the biggest leaders in the channel, some of the channel chiefs, but I also looked to ensure that I was having a diverse point of view and perspective on leadership. And so the podcast is not only a podcast on partnering and what makes successful partnerships, it's also become somewhat of a leadership platform where these leaders come to share success principles and advice, uh, not only for successful partnerships, but also how to get to that spot in their life. Um, they share their, their career journey, their professional journey, and sometimes their personal stories, in fact, which are somewhat, they're amazing stories of overcoming adversity, uh, applying grit, determination to achieve a goal, and you know, rising to a spot in their career that I hope help early in career professionals to learn from these amazing guests. You touched on you know, the last year and, and how it is a different world that we're in right now. How do the approaches to partnering need to change in 2021 and beyond? How, how is it different now? I mean, I, I mentioned this earlier. I think it's even more critical now to the success, right? We are never going to go back. Technology is driving the transformation of the world, essentially. And so 
we are seeing radical shifts. The transformation is going to continue to increase at this rapid pace, and technology is going to be that key accelerant. And you're seeing this, right? Um, Accenture just recently released a study where they said 76% of CEOs today in every industry, in every geography, 76% of them think that their current business model will be unrecognizable in five years. And so we're going to continue to see a future of buying that's going to look a lot more like consumerization. And so it's important to have, I'll call it the key influencers in the room, right? There's going to be the influencers that are going to surround that buying decision. And it's not just the salesperson on a phone trying to, you know, pitch a sale. It's going to be having the right partnerships that will help you surround that customer when they make that decision. Uh, and also complement because it, there are so many more components to what we're selling today, right? We're in a much more broad, diverse technological transformation, and everyone needs to learn how to play well in the sandbox, so to speak. Hey, Vince, before we let you go in this place, of course, into partnerships and relationships and so forth, but I'm curious just to sort of drill down on the channel a little bit. Uh, maybe you can offer your perspective uh, going back to your days at Microsoft and, and some of the changes uh, that you've seen in the channel uh, just in the last few years since you've left the company. What, what are some things that uh, partners in our audience should be aware of or, or should be paying attention to? Well, you know, certainly we started talking about this back several years ago. We were, you know, and it, it's taken this, I'll call it this acceleration to make other organizations realize it. The way that organizations buy today, this reseller model that we used to see, this channel reseller model is effectively being marginalized. And there's new buying methodologies. There's a marketplace methodology. In fact, cloud marketplaces are becoming a significant portion of the transaction economy for technology purchases. And so, you know, we need, need to keep an eye on that. And then the organizations that were traditionally just reselling and not offering professional or managed services need to get on board. And we're starting to see organizations that weren't willing to pivot in that direction just a short time ago now having to do that, recognizing that their ultimate survival is that they changed their business model. We've seen this, we've been talking about this transformation for some time. We gave, we gave the channel a heads up when I was still at Microsoft. But now really seeing this rapid acceleration now in the last year or so. Vince, would you care to kind of elaborate on, on the marketplaces conversation? Um, how has that been evolving and how is that going to continue to evolve? You know, the cloud is driving the, the future of the economy and the hyperscalers. If you look at the ecosystem, you look at that kind of like you talk, talk about channel. I think about ecosystem, right? There are the three hyperscalers, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. And there are then the supernovas, the large, you know, I'll call them Salesforce and some of the others that are also giant cloud providers that have, you know, solution sets and are driving a lot of this economy and purchases. The way we used to buy, think about the channel and how it's evolved. It started in 1981 when IBM released the PC and VARs came into vogue to deliver hardware, packaged software, ultimately networking right? And needed uh, distribution and credit lines and, you know, shipping and all drop shipping and all these things in order to serve a customer while well, everything is in the cloud now. So we are driven by a SaaS based economy. We're driven by solutions that are now being consumed in the cloud. And how do you make that selling effort or co-selling effort between a hyperscaler, a reseller, 
maybe an ISV that has a point solution, and maybe a, a, an influencer partner. How do you make that all happen effectively? Marketplaces become a way that the solution can live and coalesce and then be driven through this process. And we're starting to see this happen with the big hyperscalers. We've seen it, certainly we've seen marketplaces before then. Uh, we've seen it from some of the other technology providers, but they're becoming much more prevalent. You know, it's just um, reminded of a quote by Martin Cascado from Andreessen Horowitz that marketplaces aren't just one more channel for selling software. They're becoming the channel. And so I'd really keep an eye on what's happening there. I think that there's a future that we need to pay, pay attention to and channel partners really need to pay attention to what's happening with marketplaces. Yeah, absolutely, Vince. And marketplaces on a lot of uh, analysts' top 10 lists uh, for sure this year. Thanks so much for your time today. It's been great to talk uh, partnering, uh, getting your insight into some channel trends. Uh, we'll be sure to put the link to your podcast on the landing page of our podcast as well. So our, our loyal casties can go out there and, and check out uh, your podcast as long as they have time to stick with ours too. <laughs> well, absolutely. And Craig and James, thank you so much for hosting me today. Been a pleasure to be here. It's great to sit on the other side of the table for a change and uh, <laughs> appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Vince. It was it was a great talk. Yeah. It's good to hear from Vince about partnerships and just the, the value that they inherently create. Thinking about being more intentional about that. I think that's some good stuff, Craig. Yeah, definitely. Some tips, I think, that uh, our partner audience, as well as uh, our casties who are from the vendor community, can apply to both partner-partner uh, relationships as well as vendor-partner relationships. So uh, some, some great stuff there from Vince. Excellent. So let's see, what's this closing song, Craig? Are you going to insult me again with something about how you're not inviting me? Or what's the deal here? No, I, I wouldn't think about doing that again. I mean, of course, it's from 1998 because this is the 98th episode. Uh, our casties know that by now. But uh, yeah, I mean, don't take any insinuation by this being never there by cake, you know, because you missed an interview a couple of weeks ago. And I know you're going to be taking some time off here in the next uh, few weeks. So uh, you're probably going to miss a couple more. But, uh, you know, uh, that has nothing to do with this closing song. I think the artistic genius of this song is enough to outweigh whatever umbrage I take at it, Craig. <laughs> I love I love a good cake song. There you go. All right. If you'd like to check out the archive of Coffee with Craig and James, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, as they say. Of course, we encourage you to find us on where, James? Our flagship location. Channelfutures.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope to catch you again next time. Take uh, take well, everybody, and have care. Never there.